Yeah, we've made 12 episodes of this podcast, which feels like a moment of celebration. And we're going to talk about which ones we liked, moments we remember, moments we're maybe a little bit embarrassed about. And moments we're really proud of for coming up with all by ourselves. All right. I'm Diana Daly. I'm Jackie Kuru. And I'm Gabe Stultz. This is the Social Media and Ourselves One Year Look Back. So to get started, should we go to a little game that I have in mind? Sure. I don't know the rules, but sure. All right. We don't have to play this game for the entire time, but let's just start with it a little bit. Okay. I have a story in mind that I'm going to see if you guys can guess it. You have to ask me questions about it. Okay. Go ahead and start with the first question, Gabe. Does this story have a theme park involved? (laughs) That's quite specific. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes, it does. Actually, I cannot believe that you got it. That it, that game did not barely went Is anywhere. Is that the Disneyland one you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, do we have any other stories with theme parks involved other than Chris <laughs> Kelly, the intern series part one? I don't know if we do. Let's hear it. I was approached to shoot a commercial for the Walt Disney Company representing their program that sends their cast members back to school to better themselves. My name is Chris. I have worked for the Disneyland Resort since right after high school. As someone who is taking advantage of the program, I felt honored to be chosen for this. They chose me because the global marketing team saw a video that I was asked to make for the internal marketing team that included me retelling the conversation that I had with my son about the opportunity to go back to school and how it would change life at home. His little eight-year-old response was, go for it, mom. I'm proud of you. Yeah, and it's the it's a moving story if, if we listen to the whole thing which viewers or listeners can do on their own, if they listen to the whole thing, they'll really get a sense of how she did a lot of processing to figure out how that episode would, how that story would come across. And I'll give you a little background to that story, okay? I had just started iVoices in fall 2020. Chris Kelly was one of our two first interns that we ever had. I didn't even ever plan for interns. I didn't know that we'd need them or that there would be people who would want to intern. It was like, okay, this is a pretty cool woman. And then I had the interns tell stories uh, as part of what they were doing because I wasn't even sure what else the interns would have to do yet. And Chris's story, we ended up working on it. I met a few times to talk about it. At first, she kind of included this whole different leg related to feminism on there, which was brilliant. But at the same time, I think we were learning together. You got to simplify a story sometimes to make it pop. And so... I think that we really made that story pop. Ultimately, she chose Creative Commons music because we didn't have Gabe yet. And uh, so we were just finding music online that was openly licensed. And that's what came out. Um, How about you, Gabe? Do you have a little story in mind? Uh, Throw some questions at me. All right. I'm going to go with one that's a little less specific than your uh, shot in the dark. Um, did you or I produce it or did neither of us produce this story? Oh, that's so many questions at once. I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> it's a, th- a three-prong question. Uh, it's uh, just... one, one of us two produced it, yes. Okay. It, it, was, it was a project of uh, one of our two brains, yes. Okay, can I ask a question? Go now? ahead, yeah. Okay, so does it have a supermarket in it? Oh, wait, do we have any that have a supermarket in it? I don't yeah, know. Maybe that's a, I, uh, no, or a cafe. Because <laughs> I can't remember which 
which part was in it, but somebody at work in one of those places. Yes, yeah, it, it, that is correct. It does have a, a coffee shop okay. included in it, yeah. Okay. Does this have to do with uh, a Karen or somebody who did not like to follow along with the rules? <laughs> yes, in a sense it does. Let's Let's hear that clip. So I was at work one morning, a few months in the pandemic, like I said, and it was right before we officially opened and this guy came in. And I mean, he was like a pretty big dude, not someone I'd seen before. And he had a mask in his hand, one of those masks that you use for like fumes, like spray painting or something. But of course it wasn't on his face, it was in his hand. So I told him politely about our policy that we require masks. He said, oh, seriously, and put on like, put it sort of weakly over his face. And we have signs on the door about that, of course. And so I tell the guy politely that we aren't actually taking cash right now. And of course, um, that was also on the sign on the door. And he like fully freaked out, like started yelling, obviously removes his hand, which was holding his mask against his face. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That was a great one. Yeah, that was really fun to produce. I, I, I think that was maybe my first creative endeavor, you know, doing this podcast by myself. And I remember doing it, um, sort of being so in the zone for that one, doing it quickly and then putting together the music and, and having a feel for the, just the the appropriateness for all of the musical moments and, and you know, <laughs> shifts in tone for that one. So it was a great experience narrating, putting it all together and having my fun with it. Yeah. Jackie, what, what's your story? What, what, which yeah, I can't tell you. You got to <laughs> interrogate me first, buddy. <laughs> uh, does your story involve an interview? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Is the interview with your friend? I forget if this one has multiple interviews. Um, no, not her. Gabe, it's your turn, I think, to ask a question. Does this, does this story feature an, an academic, a scholar, as, as the interviewee? Yes. Oh, I think I know what this one is. Can we play a little piece of parasocial and parasitical? So this world where this individual is born, he's the first human being owned by a corporation. His birth is televised. People all over the world watch it. It's called The Truman Show. He doesn't realize that he's living on a, a gigantic television set and everything is being manipulated. And he's constantly taking part in these advertisements for products and he never knows it and of course through the film he does come to realize what's going on i've tasted other cocos this is the best what the hell are you talking about in that sense the truman show like that's the aspect of our life that matches the truman show now you know shoshana zuboff the social psychologist formerly from the harvard business school wrote a book called the age of surveillance capitalism and this is what she calls surveillance capitalism in this world of surveillance capitalism uh, we can't feel like Twitter or Instagram or any of these social media sites that we use are not authentic in some way, right? That, that they're controlling right. us in some way. We can never, ever feel that way because then it's game over. The system can't work. All right. I have a story in mind and go ahead and ask away. Uh, okay. Um and wait, wait, I want to say something else. I have a particular part of an episode in mind. Oh, does this have to involve my friend? Yeah, I'm <laughs> so terrible at changing my mind quickly. And you knew I was thinking about that one. Yeah. But 
I thought that this was such an incredible interview. I would like us to hear the entire interview of Jackie and her friend Alicia. My good friend Alicia made me realize there was another way to combat hate online. To share yourself as a member of the community. Someone to look up to. I had like a TikTok where I was posting like, just, you know, because, you know, I happen to be practice a lot of martial arts. So I post TikToks about that. They happen to blow up. And I've seen some very like disturbing comments regarding my race from just people that I don't know. And <laughs> I kind of at that time made a little like identity kind of like making the far rights like press because I knew like I would just say like liberal Asian girl takes down boy, you know. And there were comments, people like saying like, that's like so wrong of you to label yourself like that. But what if there's like this Asian girl who's so like reserved in her household, maybe like pressured by her parents and feels like she doesn't have a say or a voice or feels so invisible in society. What if she sees that and she sees someone who looks like me going out on the mat, just taking down these guys? What if that makes her feel empowered? Alicia reminded me of another potential reason why I didn't see the hate against me as significantly as my professor. We grew up expecting this. We grew up sometimes even promoting it. Encouraging racial slurs like pingling and mocking our own accents. Heck, sometimes even teaching others how to mock it as well. I thought I was being seen as a stereotype. But I think I kind of shook it out with dark humor. I think a lot of people who suffer from trauma like that like to cope with dark humor. I don't know if you're very um, into Vine. Vine was popping around that time. Yeah, I remember Vine. <laughs> do you know Josh Klondike Gabar? He's a Viner. He doesn't, yeah. Yeah, he just like, he basically made fun of himself, but I thought that was so hilarious. So I think the following year, like, because I, I was called like Pingling, I think around like early eighth grade. So I definitely like took that stereotype and there were kids who were Asians at ACP Oakland, just making fun of that Asian accent. Every time we said it, like even like the people who weren't Asian were just laughing at it. And I definitely like cope with just mocking myself and I even taught people how to speak like that but it was all light-hearted fun and games nothing serious yeah. can I ask you what was it like for you to interview your friend about I mean it's really kind of it's it's a, an interesting conversation you don't really hear people talking in that way very often it's kind of intimate what was it like for you to like have a recorded conversation with Alicia about about that about your identity and the media you used to consume and how you used to kind of have to play with these stereotypes? Um, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of a shot in the dark first and foremost because um, the story I was working on at first, you know, mainly was, was around myself. And to hear other Asian stories, it was um, quite enlightening because you would think, you know, it's a stereotype, right? Like everyone would have this experience. But hearing her, I realized even stereotypes in a sense have different degrees and different varieties and hearing how she dealt with it and how she contributed to it and how I contributed to it. It was interesting how the people of our own culture, the people who are, you know, said to be the same at the same time, do things differently to be involved in the stereotype. Well, that was a, it was a really good piece of tape as they say. So I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that one. All right. If we're going to keep playing this game, it's your turn, Gabe. Go ahead and answer, ask me some questions. I've got something in mind. 
Did you produce it? Yes, yes, I did produce this one. Oh. Does it involve copyright? This one does not. Um, you're, you're both dancing quite closely around it. Okay. Um, it an episode in the middle about sororities. <gasps> uh, there you go. We've oh. guessed it. Hey! Before researching this story, I was it was a mystery to me how they sort of homogenized their look or, or, or consolidated how, how they present themselves to, uh, to the campus community. And it's uh, now become a little bit more clear to me how, how they do that. There's a lot of pressure on sorority girls in particular to perform. In sororities, they have to wear certain dresses, do their hair a certain way, can't be fat, they have to go to a gym. And if they comment a certain emoji on our pictures, it means that we have to delete the image. This account called Mary Louise is looking through all the sorority girls, what they post, and if it's appropriate. They're just being surveyed and watched over at every second. I think it's your turn, Jackie. Ask away. All right. Um, is it an episode that you produced? Uh, is it bad if I say I don't remember? That's <laughs> oh, okay. We've we've done a lot of episodes now, as you can tell by the <laughs> theme of the episode. Well, it's Gabe's turn. Is this a part of the intern series? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've narrowed it down, and we already talked about intern series part one. So does it involve Taylor Swift? Yes. All right. Let's well, hear about Taylor Swift right now. Let's do it. About a week before I was supposed to go to Rhode Island, um, I got a confidential direct message on Twitter from her management company. Oh my gosh. I just got a DM from Taylor Nation on Tumblr. And they called me, told me all the information in order to meet her, but told me not to tell anyone because it was extremely confidential. This thing was I couldn't tell anybody. So I had to come a week later. I met my best friend for the very first time, and it was one of the happiest moments of my life. I'm gonna vomit everywhere. <laughs> Hi. Later in the day, I told her that I had gotten the DM, and she told me that she got one as well. On August 6th in LA, and I told them I could go. That meant that we'd be meeting again a week later, but in Taylor Swift's house. The next weekend, my dad and I went to Nashville, Tennessee, for what ended up being the best weekend of my life. When we got to the hotel, so many of my best friends that I had interacted with online over the past year were also there. I introduced my dad to all of my friends and their parents and I remember saying, see dad, these are real people. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> and then I invited them over and they came. And they came. Why don't we talk about each of our own favorite moments producing. Like, what was our favorite moment in producing one of our episodes? Like, uh, which was our favorite moment in our first episode, our last episode, mm. or just along the journey? Well, let me start with our last, most recent episode. Um, and I, definitely one of my favorite moments was getting to narrate an episode for a longer chunk and sort of provide the exposition. So the music was working well alongside my story that I was telling and the couple minute chunk of that episode that I got to be front and center on was definitely the 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 coming to fruition of me becoming a creative director on this podcast. Today's topic is the reaction meta, also known as the MasterChef meta for its inclusion of the popular show starring Gordon Ramsay. 
This recent phenomenon involves a lot of large creators streaming themselves watching old episodes of MasterChef or other shows like Avatar The Last Airbender, Death Note, Hunter x Hunter, and others. What's notable about this meta is how it's gotten so many large, popular household names and streaming in trouble so quickly. Hasanabi, Pokimane, and Disguised Toast are a few names that have gotten in trouble just for watching television shows live on stream. Generally, in these cases, the streamers were watching the show for about a day or two before they got hit with a ban from the platform. Twitch informed them that they would be suspended for at least two days, and then be able to resume streaming. Now, this punishment doesn't seem like much, especially counting in the fact that these streamers often gained more new viewers from the television shows they were watching. People flocked to these streams to see their favorite creators reacting to their favorite television shows, as well as to get access to old episodes of these shows that they may not already have. It's a fun time, and it feels very interactive because the streamers are often talking to the chat as if they were there in the room with them. Since a two-day ban doesn't seem like much to pay for a good time and a lot of new viewers, there's been a big discussion about the effects of this meta. Firstly, since these creators are getting actual DMCA strikes on their streams, it brings the Digital Millennium Copyright Act back into the conversation, where many Twitch creators don't want it around. DMCA often feels like the enemy to these Twitch streamers, and they're often trying to avoid any strikes if possible. With the popularity of these streams, many creators started to worry that the new attention being given to Twitch by copyright holders could start to get more people in trouble, as well as sink the platform as a whole for being a hub for copyright infringement. Needless to say, the waters surrounding copyright and Twitch are very murky. Can you talk about how it's felt to work with music in this podcast, including creating the music that's really the theme of the podcast, and then also working with other music once in a while? It's, it's really fun to work with other music because, it, for me, it's a mystery what was going on it, you know, in, the, in the creators' heads when they were making it, and I just have to work with you know the, the product and... Uh, it's cool to both wonder about what they were thinking about and to just put my own spin on it and use the music as I see appropriate because, you know, I don't know what the intention was, but I have the art, right, to use. Um, but making the music myself is just good fun because I can pull out my instruments one by one, put them uh, together with samples or other material that I have, and it's it's like an exercise in creativity for me. It, it's like a it's like a speed creation challenge because um, I don't want to make anything too detailed, but I want to make something that's powerful and, and fills the mood. And I've made a couple of things. I think my favorite um, looping clip was from the at reality episode under the one of the stories it was just a very soft piano playing and I, I i thought that one was just my greatest moment of creation it just sounds so appropriate um play it yeah <laughs> but here it comes normally you don't really believe something that you just receive from an anonymous account because it's someone that's just be hiding behind a screen so you're like why should i believe this they responded back saying i can't say who i am but I'm friends with the girl who he cheated on you with, and I wouldn't be messaging you if this wasn't true. Working with music has been a dream come true for, for this job as I you know, want to make that a part of any job that I have. All right. How about you, Jackie? I have to say my favorite moment so far has to be when you and I sat down about Hidden Power, specifically 
kind of that realization that you could hear midway through our uh, conversation on what it means to be powerful online. I found that to be a really nice kind of conversation where we went from doesn't matter to heck. Yeah, it does. I don't mean to argue with you about what's significant to you, but what if the more often it happens, the more societally significant it is? What then? You told us about this event. We have a class of over a hundred people and we were all gathered on Zoom. Most of us have never met each other in person. And you shared that with the class and it was a really powerful moment in our class to hear from a student who's a peer, but also whom the students have really learned to look up to as one of our media lab workers. And you shared that in class and it let a lot of people know that experience could happen to someone like you. And you're small, but you have a real large presence online in our class and in all the places where I've interacted with you. It was with this very statement, Professor Daly made me realize something powerful about, well, power, and how the internet changed its very social dynamic. Yes, online can be used as a place to promote hate, but it can and has also been used as a place to promote social equality, done to George Floyd. It has been used to bring the topic of Asian American hate to light. It's been used by Alicia to reach out to other Asian American girls who need a strong peer role model. It was used by me to reach out to my peers in class, to my professor, and of course, to you, the listener. Do you go through life feeling like it matters now? When, when people use Asian American stereotypes around you or slurs or all of those different things that we were talking about in that episode, I don't want to simplify it right now, but everything we talked about there... Does it feel different to you now? I don't know. It it feels like there. I can see another layer of it. You know, I I do have a new way to view it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean my perspective ha- on it has changed completely. It's more of a an awareness that I now have. We heard from Gabe and from myself here. How about you, the one who started it all? What how, you've been in this you've been in this journey longer than the both of us, so. What's your favorite moment? What's your proudest yeah. <laughs> moment of And you can't say hiring us. I know we're great, but still. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, that's really difficult. Um, I will tell you that I loved starting this podcast. And I would say one of my proudest moments was the moment when I first listened to the 100 stories. And it was weird. It was really right around 100 stories I collected the first semester that I decided it was time to make a podcast to connect better with students. So there was that moment, which felt incredible to me in this realization that I have to do something with this audio and with these voices, and I have to make it so that they're part of our classroom because everybody else in the class should hear it too. So that was a proud moment, but it quickly kind of slipped into some serious, like, oh my God, it's really, really hard to make a podcast by yourself. <laughs> and so As one year, yeah, yeah, right. It was really hard. And so I had a great time making um, the first two podcast episodes, which were the interview with Dr. Stephen Rains and timelessness. But there was also a lot of anxiety and stress involved. Uh, and I would say that my 
proudest moment after that was hiring you guys. No, I, I, you said not to say that. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see with the backdrop for that that it why it was such a like, oh my gosh, we're actually going to be able to start churning out this podcast more than once a year. And it's not going to like give me incredible backaches. And um, so I have a few proud moments that I, I remember. And I hope, I hope I'm not cheating if I say a few of them. Uh, one is that I remember working on the music with you, Gabe, a little bit. I remember having a, a back and forth exchange. I believe it was on Slack, right? Where I, I might remember this. Keep going. And and where you gave me a draft of what you were doing, and I was like, okay, this is good, but let's talk about emotion. And we started to talk. I, I tried to express to you how maybe some more minor keys because we're trying to kind of – we're trying to express some things that are going to be complicated in terms of stories. We want this to feel relevant if we've listened to a really sad story or a really complicated story or a really happy story. I don't know if I said it that way, but I was trying to get at emotion with you. And eventually we were able to communicate it, I think. Definitely. I, I like working with the direction of of others. It's fun to fit the needs of a certain mood, right? That, that appropriateness is really fun to create something that, is tailored for it. Mm-hmm. I I also remember that conversation with you, Jackie, where we really didn't know what we were going to do for the podcast yet. We kind of just said, let's have a conversation. And then we accidentally messed up the recording. And then we had to have a second conversation. Do you yeah. remember that? And each one was over an hour. I yeah. Think. <laughs> I was like, I remember. I don't have it. <laughs> But it was great because I think that we got to know each other a little bit and we had it we ultimately we learned things from each other in that first conversation that I think really played into you making such a good podcast episode for that for that based on that second one. So that was a really proud moment for me as well. It seems like all your favorite moments are around a challenge that we had whether it was trying to convey a, a theme or like an emotion or trying to find an hour long recording. Um, so that brings me to another question, if you don't mind me asking, is there any hidden challenges that you guys have faced that you didn't really bring up with the team that you were able to work through before you, others found out? Mm. I have many of these moments, but I can't <laughs> think of a single one right now. I, <laughs> I know I want to kind of, Throw us all there and be like, huh. I've met many times I've had to convert a file uh, more times than should be necessary. And I think only once with the Girl Meets Chud episode, I actually had to ask, please, please send me this again. I've screwed it up so badly. I can't use it anymore. But <laughs> the file the file types have, have bitten me more than I'd like to admit, I think. Right. The tech issues, right? The tech issues can sometimes be extraordinary when, I mean, when we're working on a team, it's, it's generally less so. And like, maybe that would have gone on for another two days if you weren't able to just ask, can you have that again? And, and I happen to have it downloaded. Right. But the tech issues, let's take a moment because in society, like we all pretend that tech only makes life easier. And I just want to say right now, that it, it does not only make life easier. It also makes life more difficult, right? Right, yeah. I have a similar tech um, uh, kind of experience. Um, I 
work in the script a lot for at least our first few episodes, making sure we had the transcript working and stuff like that. I was a fool. Um, I saw that they re released a new beta option called Remove Filler Words. And I was like, this is perfect. I stammer every five seconds. And I clicked that button. And then I realized, oh, no, it really removes everything. And the only problem was I realized this after doing so many more edits that I could no longer do control Z. Mm. So it got to a point where, you know, in the script, you can get to the end of a clip and you could extend it to capture more of the words. So without letting anybody know of the horrible mess up I've made, I spent about three hours just pulling it a little open more throughout the entirety of the audio clip, trying to recapture a comprehensible uh, conversation. Oh my gosh. I remember that because I was on the boardwalk in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, visiting there for the summer. And I was like, <laughs> I could hear some things. I remember pointing out like some of the words sound a little choppy. I did. I had no idea of the drama that was behind that. It's, yeah. it's fun to make a conversation out of nothing. And I'll admit that more, <laughs> more, more than once I've made, uh, a vocal edit, uh, you know, and <laughs> getting someone to say what they didn't actually, but never, never with malice, only, only with uh, constructive conversation in mind. Right. Yeah. There, there are those moments of, of ma automagical audio editing. Right? It's makes me feel like a wizard. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll talk about a challenge that I've had sometimes with not being a control freak anymore, because on the one hand, it was such a relief to get other people working on this podcast. But what that also means is you're not in control of everything anymore. Right. <laughs> and my like academic, you know, particular journey and where I am right now was something that I couldn't expect you guys to have the same appreciation for and the same perspective as. So it's been, I think, ultimately challenging and then super rewarding to just see what are you going to put on the podcast now that you are having more and more control over what goes on it. And I'm thrilled about that. You'll next hear from us in the middle of the month, weirdly, because we're doing something really special. You want to tell them what, what we're doing, Gabe? We are heading to the South by Southwest Festival to give some talks, share some of the past podcasts, and record a new one live in Austin, Texas, uh, ready to be released just after recording it. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. So you'll hear from us mid-month, and let's enjoy March thinking about our next episode. Till then, see y'all. Social Media and Ourselves is produced by the iVoices Media Lab at the University of Arizona. Sponsored in part by the Center for University Education Scholarship. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>